Suspend your disbelief. Let yourself be led down a path into the world of the paranormal, where ghosts, shadow people, cryptids, aliens, and all things supernatural dominate. Immerse yourself in a dimension of ominous trepidation with your hosts, Dan, Danny, and Rachel. Welcome to the Phantom Faction Podcast. Welcome to this edition of Phantom Faction Podcast. I'm Danny. I'm Dan. And I'm Rachel. And we're brought to you by... RampageCoffee.com. Order some. Christmas is coming. Makes good stock and stuffers, gifts, all that good stuff. Code word? Was it Phantom? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Phantom. I yeah. hope so. <laughs> I think that's what I used. <laughs> no, Joe Rogan. It's Phantom. Jeez. It's good coffee. It's yes. great. Yes. Yep. Make a good gift for anybody. Yeah. That's right. And it comes in nice little package size when you get the samplers. Yes, so. and support small local business, yeah. right? Especially during these crazy COVID times. That's right. That's right. So we had a good week. We did. We did. I think so. I was off. I was didn't have to think. Didn't have to. I did a lot of reading though. And on one of my trips to uh, Walmart. <laughs> wow. Who's not a sponsor? What a yeah, not a sponsor. <laughs> I actually I uh, I picked up two books there on their little bookshelf. Okay. And it was uh, at first I saw the first one. My son points it out and says, "Look, Haunted Canada Part Two. Right? And I said, oh, too bad they don't have one. But when I lifted up part two, oh. there was part one. <laughs> so I bought both of them. And there was part three and four and five. <laughs> so anyway, I haven't touched those books yet. But uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, all stories about right across Canada. Oh, mm-hmm. that's cool. Cool. So yeah. Bathroom read. Bathroom read. <laughs> and and then we might just come up with some spots that we can investigate. So that's one of the purposes Maybe. of that. Maybe. And speaking of haunted... Mm-hmm. And ghosts and paranormal. Right. We have a, another very cool guest on today. We have Marianne Kennedy. Ah. Hi, Marianne. Hi, everybody. How's How are you? <laughs> Marianne is a psychic medium uh, from southwestern Ontario. And Marianne, uh, we've had other psychic mediums on the show. And there all seems to be like you know similarities between many of them. Is there anything that makes you stand out from the rest? Or... Because I know, because <laughs> I, I, oh, I don't know that someone can self-declare standing out from the rest, but um, because I do know some... that you are an award-winning psychic medium. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of a lot of things that I've done, a lot of things that I do. Um, I'm a published author as well, so my book is called How to Become a Medium. It's a step-by-step guide to connecting with the other side. Uh, my publisher is based in New York City. It's traditionally published. Um, I, uh, I have a TV show. My show is called Ghosts of Dufferin County and Beyond, and we're in season three filming right now. Um, let's see. Uh, I have a, a teaching school. Uh, it's called uh, School of Mediumship and Spiritual Studies. Um, I've, been doing teach, I te- I've been teaching for a number of years. Um, of course, I have a private practice where I work with clients, and I do a lot of charity involvements. Um, I love doing um, you know, gallery work, so large stage events, those types of things. Um, so you're basically yeah, not, very, not yeah. busy at all. I do a lot of things. It's hard to, to nail something down. Wow. You're a busy lady then. That's for sure. Mm. Yeah. And then I also have a very, very ordinary life. I'm a hobby farmer, so I have horses, property, and I also am a mom. I have two little kids and my husband and, you know, the long list of all those ordinary sort of things too. Right. So was was your psychic uh, or, or your mediumship abilities, were these things that came naturally to you, something that's hereditary in your family? Something no, not hereditary. It's a okay. good question. Um, I, I think every interview I've ever done, and this question comes up, not hereditary uh, for me. No one in my lineage, to my knowledge, was ever mediumistic or psychic. 
Um, and I think that it's an important discussion to have at some point um, because there are a lot of trains of thought around psychic abilities, mediumistic abilities, and and there are a lot of beliefs that people hold pretty closely to. And, and, and one of those beliefs is that you have to be born to it. And so all of, you know, all of my professional experience, either as a medium or as, a, as an educator in mediumship and spiritual studies, um, has always shown me that that's just not truth, right? You, like, you don't have to be born mediumistic to become an excellent medium. So for me, you know, I can speak to my own experiences. And of course, the hundreds, you know, thousands of students I've worked with over the years um, you know, I was never a medium before I chose to learn mediumship. So, so I, I mean, I definitely, it came easy to me. I'll say that. Um, you know, I, 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 I was always subtly aware, definitely empathic, um, you know, had some kind of sort of psychic abilities, but not maybe in a traditional way. But in terms of mediumship in particular, that was a choice for me. And that's, that's basically the philosophy behind all of my work, including my book, is that it really doesn't matter what your background is. You can learn to become very good at this. It's like anything else. If you're dedicated to it, you stick to the process, you have good leadership, good practice, uh, mentorship rather, you know, you'll, you'll be doing okay. And, and it doesn't mean everybody's going to be a stage medium. You know, some folks want to learn to communicate with spirit just to communicate with their own people, their own family or their own loved ones on the other side. And that's perfectly fine too. You know, we all, we all want to do this for different reasons. Mm -hmm. Now, if anybody, say me, for example, and I, I do have some abilities, but I'm still trying to figure them out. Or we'll say someone like Danny, who thinks that he doesn't have any abilities. <laughs> how would how would you get him to open up more to spirit, and where where, where yeah. would where would he start? Yeah, well, it's a good question actually. So he really can't start anywhere um, because the requirement really is, and the only requirement, the only requirement is to have to want to. So if he doesn't have any desire to learn or to open up, there's nothing I can do as a teacher to help him do that. And so the, there is this prerequisite, but it has nothing to do with lineage. It has nothing to do with heredity. It only has to do with the will or the interest or the desire to explore and to learn. Right. Um, and, and, you know, some people just want to have fun with it. So you can, you can, like, Google all kinds of fun psychic exercises. If someone wants to really expand, hone, and develop, then that's a learning process. It's like back to school. That, that's what we have to do. It's, it's a learning process. You have to... You have to be in classes. You have to take workshops. You have to do a lot of practice and a lot of learning. And but the nice thing about you know developing psychically, mediumistically, or intuitively is that even though it's, it really is learning, it's a lot of learning and a lot of experiences. It's fun. Um, it's, it's 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 really fun, especially when as an adult, a lot of us sort of cease over time to experience wonder in this world. You know, like anything that really is incredibly um, out of this world but when you you know step into the world of spirit especially when you're new to it I mean, that happens left right and center it's incredibly rewarding and also fascinating and so yeah it's, it's a whole new world you see the world over time with brand new eyes you know everything looks different people are different situations are different you're different it's really incredible and like finding community to do that with is so powerful. You know, we were just talking earlier about closet, psychic, closet, mediumship, right? Like right. So in the closet, you haven't shared your current version of true self with the world yet. Um, what I've found, you know, in years of teaching and even my own experiences years ago, and even now, because it never really changes this way, is that community is really invaluable in this work. So being able to plug in with others who can relate to you and, you know, you can, you know, run things past you can get some guidance on because a lot of things you know we're talking about the infinite 
you know, language always falls short to describe something infinite, but if you can find someone that gives you good reference points, you can have a better understanding of the lay of the land. So community is really important, really invaluable. Staying in the closet um, as it relates to being a psychic or being mediumistic really sucks, you know, because it could be like anything, any version of yourself that you can't share with the world is stifling to oneself. You know, the soul is compromised. We want to be able to step into that truth, and it's easier to do that when we have community. Where did it first begin for you, though? Uh, like, when did you decide that you uh, you wanted to go into this and study more? Um, so what sort of propelled me into this, in terms of mediumship specifically, um, was the loss of my dad. Mm -hmm. So my dad died. And when and after this occurred, you know, like when I was young, and I, I mean, I've talked about this so many times. I know not, we're not with you guys, but, you know, it's in my book. I talk about it, all, you know, all, all interviews, all these sorts of things. But when I was young, I was... I had a, a pagan practice, earth-based based religion practice. I was actually raised Roman Catholic. My mom is Italian. And, um, <laughs> but at 11, I started learning. Uh, I had a desire to, um, and a sort of compulsion to connect with the natural world and learn about cycles and all these things and animals. And, you know, um, and so for like a lot of years, you know, uh, I was exploring non-form reality, but not in the way of mediumship. And then in my early 20s, you know, I sort of like, you know, like most teenagers, early 20s, I sort of departed from, you know, a commitment to philosophy and those types of things. But I came back to that. So when I, when my dad passed and I, you know, wanted to experience contact in a way different, more substantial than it had ever been before, um, I understood that it was something I had to learn to do. And so I committed myself to that learning. So, it, so for me, what brought me to spirit communication was loss. And that actually is, you know, I think, I think of all the clients I work with, all the students in a year, you know, a huge number of them come from loss too. Not all, because it really doesn't matter where you come from, but a lot of us do. We come to it out of loss because we're looking for contact, we're looking for connection that we, um, you know, didn't necessarily care to have before we lost someone really important to us. Does that make sense? Like, that, that's sort of how that usually goes for a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. Do you hear spirits? Do you see spirits? Uh, how did they come to you? Yeah, so I mean, I work in all the clairs. So when they, you know, merge with me, uh, I'll see things, feel things, hear things, know things, have impressions about things. Um, so all of the above is how okay. they yep. communicate with me. And that's actually true for most mediums. You know, I, I could probably count on maybe like a few hands how many students over the years, you know, receive information in only two or three ways. You know, over time as you develop, all of your players begin to expand, you know, how you can perceive visually, how you perceive emotionally or physically, how you perceive through thought, all this stuff, they all develop over time. Um, and nothing ever stays the same. This is the fabulous thing in mediumship, right? You know, when I'm teaching classes and I'm talking about, you know, symbolically, this is probably what this is going to mean to you. This is also what it used to mean to me. But then a number of years ago, that changed. It's always changing. You know, the language of spirit is symbolic. It's, it's, it's by and large not literal, right? Spirits don't have bodies anymore. You know, if they present to us an apparition format, that's different. You know, this is a projection or an image of what they looked like or a similarity to, but they don't look like anything now. This is form reality, right? What you and I see in each other, this is our form part. The form part ceases to exist upon physical death. So when we as mediums see spirit, right? If we see an image of what someone looked like, a face, a body, shoulders up, whatever that looks like, again, these are impressions. They're images being projected to us or our own mental faculties sort of cloaked vibrationally what that would look like. And so we happen to perceive it in some way. So do I see? Yes. Hear? Yes. No. Yes. Feel all of it. Yeah. Do you find that you plateau 
with your abilities or are you, are you always learning and, and getting stronger and I guess tuning in more easily yeah. over the yeah. years? Yeah, it's a really good question actually. You, you definitely can plateau. Um, and not so much in, you know, you reach a point that you no longer get any better. It's more like, um, you know, and you know, if you interview anyone that does this work professionally for years, right, all of us are going to say the same thing. I mean, life happens in cycles and stages, right? And so you can, you know, five years into your practice, 10 years into your practice, you might be like, you know what, I haven't been paying enough attention to even just upping my own game because I've all got these other, all these other things going on. So you can sort of hit, I, I don't, I think maybe, I'm not sure plateau is the right word, but you can come, you know, over time it becomes very ordinary to us, right? Sitting down across from a client, whether you know, it's in person or it's over the screen, it's just, this is very normalized for us, right? It's very normalized. Communicating with spirit is like every, it's as normal to me as it is talking to you right now. And so when something becomes so normalized to you, sometimes you can sort of, um, I don't know, lose a little bit of the, 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 the wonder to it, the sparkle to it. But, and I think that happens to all of us over time, and then we become aware of it, and then we become re-engaged and reconnected, and we rebirth ourselves, and I think we all do that. So plateau may be not the right word, but that idea over time, it's like anything. You know, you do the same job for a certain number of years, and you're like, you can do it with your eyes closed, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, over time, it's just like professional development. We do it in other vocations. Do we do it in mediumship and spiritual practice? We do, maybe not in the ordinary sense, but we do. When we recognize it, we say, you know what, I want to come back to the back to the table to sort of reinvent myself here to rebirth myself, reconnect with spirit in a brand new way, bring it to into form in a new way, the way I bring it to people, opportunities, you know, of allowing myself to be the vessel. So yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I actually, that's the first time I've been asked that. So, but it's a good one. I liked it. Thank, well, thank you. you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to come up with some more. <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, with speaking with, with Rachel, that uh, before she does a reading, the spirits seem to start to come to her a day before sometimes. I don't know, even a couple of days that you've uh, you've talked about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, before we let her answer, <laughs> yeah. Rachel did a reading for me about an hour ago. And when I was at home, I can see spirits. And when I was at home, before I left, my living room was filled with people. And I knew it was family. And it was almost like they were like, come on, come on, come on, like get in the car, go, go, go. And then when I got here, Rachel was like, oh my God, like your family has been here since four o'clock. And that's when I noticed everybody. Okay. And yeah. uh, it was so heavy in here. It was like walking mm -hmm. through water. And like, even when I walked in, I was like, holy mackerel. Like I've never <laughs> felt that kind of energy in here. And she wrote pages and pages and pages of stuff. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, but I, I imagine if, if you see, if, you know, this is your profession, you see people all the time, but I guess these days it's more over the computer because of the COVID. This is really bad, but yeah, yeah. But yeah, like, yeah. do yeah. they, do they show up and go, Hey, hey, you know. No, this is a really good question. Um, because, um, you know, students of mediumship, they have to, they have to learn to deal with this all the time. Right. So, um, um, okay. Well, first thing I want to comment on is that I really love that feeling when you walk into a place and it's just thick, just like you described it, Dan. Like, I love that description of just, it was like heavy, but not in a, not um, a, not not a bad in a way. It's, no. just, it's just so packed to the rafters with spirit people. Right. Right. Um, that's, I love that you describe that because 
Um, it's a good way to describe it, and, and it's very accurate. That is what it feels like, and I think it's really cool that you can perceive that. Um, so the other thing is about the coming early. So, you know, for me, um, I have a like a very clear boundary with spirit that you may not come to me into my awareness unless my like open sign is on. Okay, because like like you mentioned, I do this work professionally, right? So multiple times a day, I'm communicating with deceased loved ones that I do not know. They're not my family. Right. I don't know them. And so um, I, it would be a very rare occasion that I would become aware of a spirit before I was sitting with their loved one, whether it's in person or over the computer or over the phone, because it's really, it all works the same. It doesn't matter, right? Time and space are not linear the way we perceive them to be. So it doesn't matter. But so, so am I aware of them ahead of time? No, because I'm a professional and I create it that way. What, wow. when, when I was a student, would I let them come early? Yes. Cause I would hope <laughs> that I'd get something. Yeah. Okay? Now, I know. So, you know, and Rachel's still dealing with her closet stuff, but she'll be out. I think she was at work. If she's not out, she's out already now. Right. Um, <laughs> if not only because of this, um, but um, yeah, I mean, beforehand, you want to usually gather some information. It's just a fear thing. It's like, or, uh, if it's not a fear, so the fear factor, and it doesn't mean this is for Rachel because I don't think it is at all, but for, you know, for some students that I work with, you know, they're afraid no one's going to show up. So they want to know meaning in spirit. So they want to know ahead of time that they've got somebody, they've got some information and they'll write it down. And then when the person arrives as the volunteer or what have you, then they can give them the information. Um, and then in other cases, if you haven't established the boundary simply because you didn't even know that you could or you don't know how to, or you may not have a desire to have one, then you let them come early and you let them talk to you, right? In my uh, in my life, that would make me very unfunctional, right? If I have to be like picking my kids up from school <laughs> and you know, seeing a client, like I can't have spirit with me all the time. I just, I can't do it. Um, and people ask that a lot. They're like, you know, how do you go grocery shopping? How do you go out for dinner? Listen, like spirits are everywhere, whether they're loved ones or not, right? Like, cause you can have your family around you at all times. Like Danny talked about, I felt like they were family, like your family is going to be around a lot, but you also have, um, spirits, you know, whether they're transitioned or not transitioned, right? So you could have earthbound or sort of like grounded spirits around everywhere. They are everywhere. So if you're always on and you're always willing to perceive, my gosh, life would be really difficult to operate because you would constantly be aware of spirit people everywhere all day long. Cause that in reality, they are everywhere. Mm. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so there's definitely an on off switch, but you might have to learn that. Right? So how does, how would Rachel put her clothes sign up on the front door then? That's right. That's right. And, and this is what I say is that it, it is a choice. Okay. Mm. Cause you know, over time you see lots of, you know, things on TV and elsewhere and, and, and people say, you know, I just see spirits everywhere. They're everywhere. That's true. They are. But the fact that you are perceiving them everywhere, that is your choice because it is also your choice to not be aware, to not perceive, to not receive. But you may not know that you have that choice, but you do. You do. Mm-hmm. You can do it. All right. There you go, Missy. Right. This is why we have guests on. <laughs> we need to sign up for Marianne's class. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of your classes, you must get uh, people that are beginners, but you must get people too, say like Rachel that would, would come along that has some experience. Do you start them at the beginning or what do you do? So, the, so it's a good question, um, and you're absolutely correct. So people are at various points on the mediumship sort of continuum. Um, pre-professional work. Um, and so there's sort of two ways that I do it. 
Uh, most of the circles, which are weekly practice circles, um, are a mix. So you can have a total beginner and someone who's like, this is their last circle and they're going into professional work or they're beginning to work with me on a business mentorship, mediumship mentorship level, and they're going into work. Um, and so and it's important, actually. It's actually important, I found over the years, to have a mixing. And the only time I, I change that is if I have a particular group of students. Students tend to work with me for a, a year or so. And, and the reason is because mediumship is, a, is a, like a slow unfoldment. And it requires frequent practice every week, sometimes multiple times a week. Um, and so you, that, you really hit that consistency of accuracy, power in messaging, confidence, all those things after about a year or so. And so I'll have students usually stay with me for about that long. But yeah, I do mix them with the exception of sometimes I'll have a group that's very, very, very advanced, like very, very advanced. Like the, all of them are about to, they've finished their, about their year of learning in classes, in workshops, and they're ready to sort of hit the road in service. Um, then, I'll, then I'll keep them on their own. I wouldn't bring a, a sort of beginner into that. But right now, I usually, all of the classes are mixed classes. And then the other way that I do it, um, which happens even remotely now, but of course for years always in person, is I teach uh, workshops. So not, not just weekly classes, but like a single day or a weekend workshop. Um, in, you know, we have beginner, intermediate, advanced. I mean, I typically don't use those words, but that idea. Um, and then, of course, I teach a lot of other things, you know, protection, energy, clearing, psychic development, all of this stuff, not just mediumship, but mostly mediumship. Um, and then the other sort of way that I deliver um, teaching material is uh, online, not the way sort of not sort of over Zoom, but we, I do that as well. Um, but I have online programming. So it's learn at your own pace. So it's video. Um, it's workbooks, videos, case studies. You do your homework, you send it in, it gets marked by me, it gets sent back to you. And so, um, yeah, so I have my, the mod, like the model is extensive, how I teach and how I deliver the material. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so, cause some folks are just not feeling being, you know, wanting to connect in a weekly circle, sitting with other folks, sharing your story. Others feel very solitary in the journey and that's okay too. And that's what the online at home programming is. So you can do it at your own pace. Um, and you're really only connecting with me plus the people that you're using as volunteers. Right. Um, now, you've seen through the years, of course, a lot of technology uh, changes. So, I mean, it was obviously different when you first started. Uh, it was more of a one-on-one -on -one basis, I guess, or classroom yeah. basis. Uh, did you find a transition to uh, the electronics like Zoom and stuff like that to do? I mean, I, well, I'm thinking psychics used to do over the phone mm -hmm. as well. And is it any different picking up uh, spirits? By yeah, phone no, or it, by Zoom? No, it's or? no different. It's mm -hmm. no different at all. It's exactly the same. Mm -hmm. um, I would and, 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 and I would say though that I mean I always did over the phone. I always did. Like right. even when I, uh, you know, when it would be mostly in person, I would always still do over the phone. I actually for years would not do video, but it's because there wasn't Zoom. It was like Skype at the time. Right. And Skype always glitched, and I remember doing a few readings. You know, somewhere I think it was someone. Uh, someone in South Africa, someone in England. And, um, and I also live in like rural Ontario. So our internet is not great, right? You have like the best packages you can get and it's still not great. And so what would happen is I'd be, you know, communicating information from spirit and then the screen freezes 
and I've got to wait like four minutes and then I have to reiterate the whole thing. I said, you know, I'm not doing that anymore. It's so frustrating. I can't handle that. And of course, this stuff is, our, our whole book is time, right? I, I'm only with people for a certain amount of time. So for years, I wouldn't do video, but I always did phone and I always did um, email, live email chatting back and forth. So um, only really in the last year, I would say, um, did I start doing stuff on Zoom because it was just more reliable than Skype. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, that was helpful because then COVID happened and all of my appointments are over Zoom. All of my classes and workshops are over Zoom. And so I think it's, I mean, I think it's really, you know, for some, the transition was out of necessity, mm-hmm. right? Because that's how you're going to connect with people during COVID. Um, and then for me, I think I sort of started that transition a little bit a little bit earlier than COVID. So when it actually became a requirement, I was fine with it. And all of my online programming, the work at your home, own pace stuff and video-based work, that was done, that, you know, that was created last year, a year and a half, two years ago. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that it's, that it definitely has evolved for me personally. Um, the transition to, to sort of working remotely was just fine. Yeah, mm-hmm. no commentary on it. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. You're listening to Phantom Faction Podcast. To reach out to Phantom Faction, see our Facebook page or email us directly at phantomfaction at outlook.com. Are you tired of stale grocery store coffee? Mm-hmm. Then you need to check out Rampage Coffee. It's roasted fresh to order and delivered to your doorstep anywhere in Canada and the United States. It's delicious, and they have a high-caffeine blend called C4 that will blast you out of your morning slippers. Oh, wow. Get free shipping in Canada on their sampler bundle to try all four of their fantastic blends using the code PHANTOM. Go to rampagecoffee.com today. You're listening to Phantom Faction Podcast with your hosts, Dan, Danny, and Rachel. Marianne, can we talk about your show, uh, Ghosts of Dufferin County? Where can we find that? Dufferin Orangeville, Caledon, Pesrith or Georgina, I think. And I'm so sorry, one other region, and I now can't remember, it could be Simcoe. Um, so so it, it airs weekly. Um, and right now, I think, I actually think they started airing the season three episodes only because of COVID, we've only filmed two. Um, and, uh, and so after it airs for, each episode airs for a couple of weeks, um, they, the Rogers Television uploads it to YouTube. Oh, so perfect. they can all be found on YouTube, but they do air on TV for several weeks before that. So they aren't, it's not an immediate upload to there. And I think all the episodes are on my website too, under the TV tab. I think they're all on there now. And they, so every time a new one comes up, it just goes on there as well. Okay. Now, how do you find these haunted locations? Do people call you in or do you drive yeah, around or you drive around and get a feel for things or? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. We get, so I do, I mean, I get called in. I, mean, I uh, that's another part of the work that I do is, is doing, you know, home or business clearings. Um, so I do that outside of the show. I do that actually as real work, but um, so, so some of the locations I get called into and then we choose to film there. Um, others are uh, places that I feel connected with that I want to do the work at. And so we do. Um, we have a couple of filming locations coming up in the Alora um, area. Uh, of course, because of COVID, working around figuring out spacing is tough. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the whole, the, I do a lot of interviews. I have in, a lot of in-studio episodes for the show, but of course our favorites and the fan favorites are the on-location stuff that we do. Right. Um, and haven't been able to do it. And thank goodness we finished season two filming in January, which is right before COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so I get called out in places that I just feel called to do the work at. And sometimes there's no work to do. 
Um, you know, example, one of the episodes we did, I did last season was at Devereaux House in Halton Hills in Georgetown. And um, while we were all, so for that particular episode, I actually brought students. Um, I was teaching them in, in class portion of psychic investigating workshop. And my, that particular workshop I teach, I spend half a day with them in the classroom. And then the second half of the day, I take them on location somewhere. So for that episode, I took the students on location to test out their new skills. And at that particular location, we were allowed to film there, allowed to investigate there, but there was a specific request that if there was anything discovered, that we wouldn't do anything with what was discovered. So I wasn't really doing any work. There was no spirit releasement or spirit rescue. There was no clearing taking place. We were just investigating. But I think that that's also work, good work in and of itself. But the, for me, it's not really work. It was just sort of like play that day. Right. <laughs> mm. Nothing nothing much I had to do. But the students had a great time investigating. So can you give us uh, a couple of your best ghost stories? There's got to be a couple that stood out. Yeah, you know? I got, I got a lot, but uh, let's see. Um, there was actually one fairly recently. I, had, I a couple of months ago, I'd gone out to do um, a clearing at a private residence, and it was in Caledon. And um, so um, there were two. Well, there were a couple of things going on at the home in particular, but in terms of spirits or ghosts, not the spirits. Let's just differentiate ghosts being untransitioned. Uh, souls. Um, so two ghosts, um, uh, sort of middle-aged woman and an older male. But the the, the good, <laughs> the, the juicy part of the story was um, the woman who was resident in the house had uh, communicated to me that she had um, she had actually lived on a farmstead. This, this this home was on a large large. Uh, sort of like acreage. And there, there were there were actually the remnants of, of homestead buildings still on it. And further back though, further down. And so the spirit woman had told me that she had lost her baby girl um, to, to some sort of illness. And this was probably like a hundred years ago. And she had lost her baby girl and, and um, she stayed attached to this location, which was like where the homestead was, where she spent time with her um, kids, and that's one of the reasons sometimes souls don't move on with the journey is that they uh, feel invested in a space or a place or an object or a person, or they're not. Sometimes they're confused. You know, there are any number of reasons. But she was attached to the space, and she was still in a grieving process a hundred years later. And when I was explaining this, the, 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 so upon you know uh, discovery, uh, which is what I like to call it, the discovery is talking to the spirit or the ghost to learn what their story is, and that's really important. Um, because you can't make anybody transition. They have to be willing participants. So, you know, upon this discovery, um, this was pre-helping her release from the space, which I did. But when I shared this information with my client, um, she had told me, in the room that I discovered the woman in, she had told me that that was her daughter's room. And her daughter now had moved up to the third floor to be with the parents because she had had multiple experiences of feeling like a woman was caressing her hair like a baby. Mm. And so I understood in that moment that this woman had, you know, taken a shine to this living girl, right? Because she felt maternal toward her. She was in maternal grief. And so to be able to express that grief, and it, it might sound a little bit creepy, and it was to them <laughs> at the time, but to me it made sense. Right. Okay, like to me it made sense that this was an expression of her grief that had been unresolved 
And so, yes, there were very real experiences of feeling like a woman patting the young girl's hair multiple times. So that was an interesting one. At least it was a happy spirit in a way, right? It, yeah, it just creeped yeah, them out sure. more than anything. So, I mean, because we get calls, you know, because we're also paranormal investigators as well. And, yeah. you know, we get calls about seeing dark shadow figures and glowing red eyes and growls <laughs> and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. So have you ever come across anything like that? Yeah, yeah. And how, would, and how would you deal with those? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's really important to do this work without a fear body. And so, again, and, you know, I was just, uh, I just did an interview a little while ago with Jackie Dennison from Rescue Mediums, and Jackie's wonderful, but uh, we had this very similar conversation. And, you know, it, it said, you know, of course she agrees that even those that are on the lower vibrational scale, right, so you might experience them as negative entities or they've got, they're malevolent in some way, um, those two are also souls, right? And right. so... Um, sure, they're imbued with a lower vibration and you're going to experience that in a certain way. Uh, but they, you know, they or the location or space that they're in also need, needs help. So um, we can be frightened of that. And sometimes it is frightening. Um, but, you know, one important truth remains here, which is important in, in, in you know, paranormal rescue-based work is that, you know, um, the power of your form body is so substantial. So understanding that nothing can hurt you is really important. Can you be bothered by it? Can you have an attachment that affects your personality and your, your life? Yes, but, you know, can a ghost kill you? They can't, you know, and that's important. That's empowering information to know. So sometimes what happens when we have, like, really gnarly energy, and if it is a discarnate being... Okay. If Sorry, it just, we're just seeing stuff floating we, around the room here. Oh, yeah? Okay. <laughs> if it is a discarnate being, um, sometimes we can't, as I mentioned just like five minutes ago, you can't force anybody to release from the physical attachment. You cannot. And so if they don't want to move on, okay, um, then the job shifts from releasement to clearing. So, okay, so if you're not going to move on on your soul's journey, okay, then you're still not staying here in this location. So sometimes the, the, the goal shifts from the goal shifts from releasement to clearing. Um, and often when you do releasement, you have to clear stuff too. But so, you know, so as I mentioned, if something is really gnarly attached to something, and then you may not be able to do the releasement, but you can attempt to clear it from the space. And, and that may not work either. You know, it might take multiple tries. It might take multiple approaches. And also, I, I really do believe that there are also some locations, just like there are objects, there are certain objects that no matter what the heck you do, you cannot clear it. And so I, I, I do believe that there are locations like that. They're so substantially haunted. They're so substantially um, uh, host to entities, discarnate beings, all kinds of things that, you know, there's very little uh, possibility that anybody here in the physical world is going to make a dent at that and I just believe that those are locations, like for me in particular, that I feel no need to do any work there. Um, we did, we took students once on an investigation to the Wellington County Museum and Archives. Yep. Mm -hmm. Are you guys familiar with that place? Oh, yeah, yeah. We were the first team to ever be allowed to investigate there. Perfect. So we, you know, took students there on a psychic investigating workshop and then you know, over the last couple of years, folks were like, go do an episode there, go do an episode there. And I just feel like there's no point because I feel like it's a never ending line and the spirits that are there, the ghosts that are there, um, you know, I think some of them just feel very benign, but a lot of them don't. And it feels like, you know, if you want to go in with a whole damn team 
of psychic mediums to do clearing and releasement and spend five months doing it, then go for it. Because yeah. I really think that's what it would take. So for me, I just feel like there's no, I almost feel like there's no point in it. And I, and I also believe that whether, you know, grounded spirits have assistance from a medium to continue the soul journey or not, they will eventually be okay. And I also believe that as a psychic medium, simply because I become aware of a grounded spirit or a non-transition spirit, it's not my responsibility to do something about it. If I'm asked to, and I feel if I feel called to do that, then I will. But it's not a requirement simply because I can do it. Right. Do you find that a lot of spirits? This is kind of like a two parts uh, question here. A lot of them don't move on, or they're afraid to go into the light because of the life that they led, and they think they'll be judged. And do you feel that some of them just need that gentle nudge, like to say, "Okay, you're going to be fine. You're going to be good. You were you were a dickhead." <laughs> you know, but that's yeah. that's yeah. the path that yeah. you took or whatever, and, and it's time to go. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with that. I think that that's actually mostly what we encounter as right. mediums who do releasement work is mostly just a, a reframing um, for them to help them to understand what comes next and mm. how it's really not what they are expecting. Um, but that is really one of the common reasons, as you mentioned, Dan, right? Like they have misdeeds or misgivings and they're afraid of being judged. You know, okay. some of the other reasons, um, you know, that are, I've found interesting over the years, um, um, sometimes folks who have passed um, already on the other side have people there that were perpetrators to them and they don't want to see them again. Oh. And they're convinced that if they continue on and release from the physical, that they're going to encounter this perpetrator again. And so they're afraid to and they don't want to. That, that's an interesting one. I've come across that a number of times. I've never thought about that of course, one before. The other one, which I, for me, in my experience, is equally as common as what you just mentioned, Dan, is um, confusion. Mm -hmm. So they're like, what? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because what do you mean? Uh, they're just like on Groundhog Day. Before, <laughs> before, before Rachel came on to the podcast, we had another gentleman, John, with us, and he had some uh, pretty wicked gifts um, that kind of you know, overtook his, his life and he had to walk away from everything paranormal. But he and I had moved a few spirits together uh, remotely and uh, most of them were uh, suicides. Okay. And, and they were young men, very confused, had taken their own life. And John and I always joked that he was the SWAT team and I was the hostage negotiator because he was kind of trapped them. And then I would talk to them and say, listen, you know, I know that you think that you're going to a terrible place because you've committed suicide, whatever your belief system was, but you're okay. You're good right. to go. And, you know, I hope, them, I, I, hope I didn't sell them, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, no, I don't down the so. river. But uh, it, it's, it certainly makes you wonder about what is actually beyond, you know, our physical realm. And, mm -hmm. and, yeah, uh, and, I, and I think there are a lot of ways to explore that while we're still alive. Um, and, and I think that it's... it's good to have some um, experiential learning you know with what the journey of the soul sort of looks like even though the, the, the again this is like infinite right and so we're trying to find this language to to, to contextualize it some way and, it, and the language will always fall short it'll never it's like can you define love right like we can find reference points give examples of what it's like but can we really put it into something, into like the most clear and definitive context. I don't think so. And I think that that's the same for spirit. And I had another psychic medium lady say to me once, and I've repeated this many times, that she says, Dan, I think a lot of people when they pass on 
are going to be very, very surprised that it's not what they expect, you know? And, uh, yeah, I think that, that that is true. And, and some of those, those experiences that we can have with, you know, non-form reality while we're still alive and, and recall soul memories, um, you know, things like past life regression, things like life between lives regression, um, not having it done vicariously where like a psychic or medium or an Akashic Records reader is telling you about a past life, but you're actually, you know, under hypnosis experiencing some soul memories around that. I think that that's, an important part of the spiritual journey um, and, and because otherwise everything you know about it is through somebody else, you know, what, what you're reading or what someone else is telling you. And so I think having experiences with your soul, um, you know, at various points along its journey is important. I really, I really do recommend working with, again, a reputable sort of practitioner and hypnotherapist to do that work. But I think there's a lot of value in it. Right. Um, I always encourage students at some point on the spiritual journey, you know, experience what your soul did in another life, experience what it felt like to be on the other side mm -hmm. before you came back in, you know? So I think that there's, yeah, there's a lot of value to, to having those experiences. Marianne, do you think there are rules on the other side as to uh, what spirits can and can't do? And I mean, we, we I mean, you, you always hear about uh, like for an example, Rachel and I, and Danny, to some point, we've, we've been trying to connect with a, a young lady, a cold case from 30 years ago. And, um, you know, she's, she's given lots of signs to other psychic mediums on where her body is. And we've talked a little bit about it on the, on the show here. Um, and you wonder, like, do you, like, people would say, well, why don't you just get the psychic medium to go out there and have the spirit say, I'm buried right there. That kind of thing, right? And, and I guess it does happen sometimes. Sometimes, and, yeah. But what do you say to people who bring up things like that? Um, I mean, a, a couple of things. I think that cold case work, I mean, I've done cold case work myself. I get engaged probably monthly to do cold case work. Wow. Um, but I, you know, I only engage if I'm asked specifically by family, not by someone who thinks, ah, here's like, I could go and help them. Right. Um, but even then, it always has to be run by spirit to say, is this appropriate for me? Because, you know, everybody has a soul journey, right? And if someone's missing, that is also part of someone's soul journey to experience that. And who am I to intervene simply because I want to be a psychic going to find somebody? Like, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's sometimes it can be very egoic. Um, and so we have to just be careful of that. But, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, about the, the sort of rule thing, I mean, what I've found is that if a spirit is transitioned, and they have assimilated to being, you know, in spirit form only. Um, they generally don't participate in things like, you know, trying to find their body. That's what I've generally found. Right. It's basically like radio silence from them or they will engage with you, but in a very loving, harmonious way. It's not like they, they're compelling you to go find anything. Right. Um, and, you know, the cold cases that I've worked on and one in particular again, I think this might have been from 30 or 40 years ago, fairly high profile. Um, in this area, and I actually do talk about it in my book, um, you know, when we did the cold case work, the spirits that we're working with were not transitioned. And that's why they, they were very invested in what our findings were and what, where they wanted us to go and what they wanted us to look at. Um, and so I think that, I think there's value in it because I think that there historically have been discoveries that were helpful for families and helpful for justice or whatever that looks like. So I think that there's value in the work. Mm -hmm. um, but I also know that, you know, in my own experience over the years, looking at 
you know, people that really want to make names for themselves, all kinds of things. They'll be like, I'll go find this. This is where it's coming up on a map. And it's like, hold on a second here, right? This is more about you than the actual family or the person that might be missing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think there's value in it, but, um, but I, but I do also know that, you know, it doesn't matter what the experience is, you know, our suffering here in the physical world, our joys here in the physical world, you know, these major, major events that occur for us, those are designed by us because they're part of the experience of this particular life that we're supposed to have. And so, um, and it's not because we're sentenced to anything. It's about the soul experiencing the polarities of all realities throughout many, many lives. And so um, I think that, you know, sometimes folks can be quick to want to intervene on that rather than allowing the plan to go as designed, um, you know, because free will choice is a very powerful thing. And um, we have to allow others that free will choice and ourselves. And, and you know, sometimes the plan's going to come to play no matter what the free will choices are. So I think that's another discussion. That's about soul plans and soul contracts. But um, yeah, it's just something to be mindful of. You know, if you're a psychic medium listening in and you get engaged in cold cases and you think this will be fun, this will be interesting. It might be, but make sure that you run that past either your highest self, spirit, your guides, whatever that is to say, is this right and appropriate, not only for me, but for the people that could be impacted by this, right? Because there's lots of, I mean, think of historically too, there's all kinds of, you know, cases where, you know, and this is, this is often why police no longer work with psychics or mediums, because historically, uh, and they still do to a small degree, but because historically they have taken a lot of resources away from, you know, some traditional investigative method to follow what a psychic medium is like drawing on a map and there's nothing there. And so I think it's a bit of a slippery slope sometimes. Mm. Rachel, you have a question? Yeah. Yes, you in the back. Always <laughs> <laughs> like jumping at me here. <laughs> I get lost in listening. That's my, my problem. Are you picking anything up on Marianne? I'm, I'm not. Because you often pick up uh, stuff no, with I'm our just, guests. I'm just enjoying the uh, conversation. Marianne, do you have, a, <laughs> you have a Richard connected to you? Or a John? Nope. Okay. Because uh, I always get names that are thrown at me. And then I got the smell of uh, uh, cigarette smoke when you were talking. Yeah, I can take cigarette smoke. Would yeah. that be your dad? Was your dad a heavy smoker? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. All right. Well... <laughs> <laughs> That's a stretch, right? Well done. <laughs> and, I, and I keep getting an image of a man wearing a green hat, like a John Deere hat. He has dark hair. He's got a bit of a not not clean shaven, but a bit of a growth. And he's got dark, thick, thick dark hair. He almost looks like a farmer or or someone that works with his hands. I don't know. Okay, I can't take that one. It just keeps popping in. We'll so I can't help but notice, and I know that our listeners at home are only going to hear this, Okay. but you it appears to me that you're in an old house, are you? It looks that way, but it's it's not. It's not okay, I'm only saying that because I was thinking, damn, maybe you're picking somebody up in the house that you're in. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it is a busy room when we get together, okay. so yeah. I don't know. I kept getting a Richard and a John, but, mm-hmm. but I'm also thinking uh, I, know, I might know who that is right now, so... Right. Well, tell us about uh, your book and uh, where we can get it, etc. Yeah, um, it's it was actually it's published in 2015, so I ordered many years ago. But um, Mm -hmm. yeah, you can find it like all major book online retailers. Mm -hmm. Um, It's called How to Become a Medium. Yeah, it's like a it's a how to guide. I wrote it over the course of maybe like six or eight months, and I it's it's funny because I actually wrote it each night after my kids went to bed. I would, I would okay. write. And I did that for like many, many months. Um, 
yeah, it was a really important piece for me. Um, the messaging of the book was sort of like birthed out of, you know, relaying this messaging like every day to clients that, you know, I'd work with, you know, after every reading, it's like, oh, how can I do this? How can I learn to do this? And then I, I find myself, you know, repeating the same thing over and over again. And I'm like, all right, I need to put this out in a different way mm-hmm. so that I can share this message, not one-on-one-on-one, because it just it, it just feels like I need to put put that information out there in a larger way. So it was a it was very spirit guided. It was like very spirit led, which I knew for sure when, you know, uh, a, a medium in like small town Ontario, air in Ontario gets picked up by a publisher in New York, right? Like I didn't have to publish the book. They published the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's just very unlikely. It's very, And if you are in the publishing world at all, um, you know, I don't know what the statistic is, but it's pretty high that people, when they write their first books, they have to self-publish it, right? They have to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. So when this got picked up, I, was, I understood <laughs> from spirit. Right, yeah. I understood from spirit that this was something that, uh, that that was needed and not beyond just me needing to express it people needed to read it so you know over the years I get all kinds of I actually just I actually just had someone um actually message message my uh Facebook page um saying that they were reading my book somewhere in the states and I have folks in Portugal and Europe you know sending notes that they've um you know been reading my book and how helpful it was to them so it's great yeah. I find I, as I'm watching, I, I just find that you're just so easy to listen to. So I, I guarantee that you're a great teacher. How do people get in contact with you for lessons? Yeah, so my website's MarianneKennedy.ca, and um, my socials Facebook, which is Spiritual Medium Marianne Kennedy. I am on Instagram, but I barely <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> on there. So I, I put most of my um, sort of online. Um, energy into Facebook. So yeah, MarianneKennedy.ca, Spiritual Media, Marianne Kennedy. And uh, yeah, that's where to find me. Appreciate you uh, spending some time with us. Yeah, that was great. All right, thank you guys so much. Thank you. All right. Thank you. We'll talk to you again. (laughs) Bye. Phantom Faction Podcast, a podcast to educate, entertain, assist, and guide anyone involved or interested in the paranormal. To reach out to Phantom Faction, see our Facebook page or email us directly at phantomfaction at outlook.com.